Thank you very much. Let's take God's word together, if you would, once again, and turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. We're going to continue where we left off last week in the life of Moses, in this journey of the Israelites through the wilderness. And uh, an appropriate text, I believe, for the day in which we find ourselves. And in fact, there are many references throughout the Bible to this wilderness wandering. You find it in the book of Psalms, you find it in 1 Corinthians, you find it in the book of Numbers, of course, in Exodus, and you find over and over in Scripture the nation of Israel uh, returning, God's Word bringing their attention and reminding them of what they have previously gone through. In fact, Paul writes for us in 1 Corinthians, these things were written for your examples. And uh, we are to learn from what the nation of Israel went through and oftentimes we see ourselves, don't we, and the attitudes and the, you could say, the negligence. We find ourselves often looking at the nation of Israel. And uh, in Psalm chapter number 78, we find a verse that is a parallel portion in reference to this wilderness wandering. But in, X, in Psalm 78, listen to this verse. The scriptures say this, it's the nation of Israel, really they are, uh, complaining, and they're asking, testing God. And they say in verse number 19, Yea, they spake against God, and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Have you heard that question before? Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now, that was a, a testing question. And there are many people today who perhaps would not vocalize it like the Israelites did, but they feel the same way. Can God take care of us in this wilderness? Now, a lot of people, by their actions and reactions, they've proven that they don't believe God can. By their nervousness and their fearfulness, they believe and they display that they don't believe God can furnish a table in the wilderness. But I believe He can. I believe it because it was written for our example, for us to learn, to be reminded that in any wilderness, God is able to furnish a table. God is able to take care of us. He's able to provide for us. We're going to look at that this morning. A beautiful text with so many wonderful meanings. I want you to notice verse number 4 of Exodus 16. After hearing the murmurings and the complainings of his people, then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Now that is a tremendously encouraging verse. Because here were a grumbling, griping, moaning, backbiting, complaining lot of people. And that is probably the majority of Christianity today. And in the midst of all of that, God still said, I'm going to take care of you. Truly, it was a supreme act of grace. They were totally undeserving of any good thing that came from the hand of God. But yet God in mercy and in grace said, I will rain bread from heaven. Think about that for just a moment. This manna that we're going to talk about today was bread from heaven. One of our greatest problems right now 
is we are looking everywhere but heaven for help. Without a doubt, this bread came from God. Now, some scientists and theologians have tried to explain away manna, just like they've tried to explain away the resurrection of Jesus, and just like they've tried to explain away Jesus walking on the water, and just like they tried to explain away the feeding of the 5,000. But the provision of manna was nothing short of a miracle itself. The fact that for 40 years, every day, day after day, six days a week, God provided manna in and of itself is a miracle from God. Some researchers and scientists have found that there's a little bug, a little animal insect there in the wilderness. And as it made contact with some of the weeds and shrubbery in the desert, that it would secrete some sort of a foam that would be much like manna. That's where it was. It was very sweet tasting, and that's exactly what the Israelites feasted on. Fat chance. Because that would only take place at the most three months out of a year. And in those three months, if you were to collect all that those insects had, had manufactured, it wouldn't be enough to feed the nation of Israel for one day. We're talking 40 years, 365 days a year. Well, Six days a week, minus 55, six days a week, God provided from heaven all that they needed. Now, every once in a while, I hear people say, what has God ever done for me? Have you heard that before? Please don't let that come out of your mouth. What has God ever done for me? I've worked hard, and I've bought my own house, and I've purchased my own car. I've done all of this. Have you forgotten where all that you have has come from? Life itself is from God. Sustenance is from God. The strength to be able to work is from God. And until that strength is taken from you, do you, fa you fail often to realize how weak and frail you really are. It's all from God. It's all from heaven. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above. There are different ways that this manna was described in Scripture. It was called corn of heaven. It was called angel's food. It was called here bread from heaven. Let me encourage you that there is a help in this time of wilderness wandering in 2021. In the middle of all this chaos in the world, there is help from above. There's manna from above. But I wonder if you're looking up for your help. Or are you looking to the BBC for your help? Are you looking to the newspapers and internet for your help? I love what the psalmist writes in Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to BBC. From whence come? No, 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 no. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord which made the heavens and the earth. God, the creator of the world, is my source of help. He says again, the psalmist in Psalm 123, in verse number 1, Unto thee lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God, until that he have mercy upon us. Our help is in heaven. Again, Psalm 124 and verse number 8, the very next chapter. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
Psalm 46 is a special psalm to many people. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Our help comes from God. But are you looking to him? It's, it's interesting. If you, if you look to all the problems that are around, you will very quickly grow discouraged and probably grow fearful. If all you do is have a constant intake of bad news and fear-mongering, then you will be very much afraid. Psalm 146 and verse number 5 says this, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Do you know why so many believers are, are so joyless today? Do you know why so many Christians have no joy and no happiness today? Because they're not looking to God. We must look up. Isaiah the prophet also echoed this same thought in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 28. Listen to what he says here. Isaiah 40, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Do you know why we're fainting today? Because we're not looking to the help. Our help comes from above. You say, well, what does that mean? That's really nice. That sounds lovely. But practically and, you know, in reality, what is that help? What is that bread from heaven? Well, let me just from the very beginning tell you exactly what the bread from heaven is. Jesus told us in John chapter 6 and verse 30, uh, the people were wanting a little bit of a display. And they said unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Now, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. We meet people all the time who say, well, I, I believe in God if he showed me a sign. No, you wouldn't. Sorry. Thousands of people watch Jesus do sign after sign after sign and miracle after miracle after miracle, and they were determined they weren't going to believe. They said, what sign do you show? I just literally just done miracle after miracle before them. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And then they said, Ooh, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Let me tell you where our help comes from and where our sustenance comes from. It comes from nothing else and no one else but Jesus Christ himself. Some people say, Ooh, you can't say that today. In 2021, you might offend someone. But does it offend someone to say that two plus two is four? If so, then they're going to have to be offended because it's truth. Jesus is the bread of life. 
And you say, that's a narrow statement. No, no, no. It's a truthful statement. And it will be an effectual statement to you if you'd only believe. It would be a great statement for you instead of you being upset, but that being narrow-minded in a very skinny way. You should say, okay, well, if that's the case, if that's where my help comes from, if that's where my sustenance comes from, if that's where salvation comes from, then I'm going to go there. Of all the shops, just a few months ago, every shop in Oxford sold out of loo roll. If you remember that, a toilet paper crisis. Well, if there was only one shop in all of Oxford where you could go and buy that loo roll, I guarantee you, you'd queue up outside. You may grumble and say, I don't know why I can't get it anywhere else. But you also might say, I'm glad it's there. And can I tell you, Jesus is the bread of life. You can't get him, you can't get life, eternal life anywhere else but Christ. So get over how you feel about it and go to the source. He is the bread of heaven. I love this. God is so kind. He doesn't just send that manna to the grumbling children of Israel, but he also sent quail in the night. A little bit of something more. He gave them a little bit more than just bread. He also sent a little bit of meat. Can I encourage you that there is milk, you could say. There is that initial beginning, early good stuff, but there's also the luxury of meat in the Christian walk. There's a depth there. There's, God get, gives you more than just what you need. He gives you an abundance. He gives you joy on top. He gives you peace that passeth all understanding, much more than you and I deserve. Bread from heaven. Now watch this. They had a command in verse 4 that they had to go out and gather a certain rate every day. And in verse number 5, at the end it says, they shall be twice as much as they gather daily. They had to gather that meat. They had to go out and get that bread, pardon me, that manna every day. Every single day. Can I tell you, you cannot live today on yesterday's blessings. Now, I know some people who are stuck in the past. I wish it was like at the beginning of 2020. A year ago, it was a whole lot better than it is now. Stop thinking about a year ago and start picking up the bread that's waiting for you this morning. I can't wait for it to go back to what it used to be. Well, God has blessings waiting for you this morning. If you'd only get out of bed and go get them every single day. In fact, one day at a time. God never intended you to live the Christian life a year at a time, a month at a time, a week at a time. He intended for you to live the Christian life, this life, one day at a time. But modern society has taught us that we've got to be thinking 10 years down the road and five years down the road and and I'm not saying it's altogether wrong to be thinking ahead, but when that becomes an obsession and your bank account begins stacking, stacking, stacking because you want to think about that and you're saving up for that and you're doing this and you can't wait to get there. And boy, I can't wait to get finished with all of this and then I'll be able to really live. God wants you to live today, one day at a time. You know, many of us are being robbed of today because we're worrying about tomorrow. And many of us are being robbed of today because we're pining for yesterday. Today. 
I love it. There's a, there's a biblical principle found in the scriptures that we're to live one day at a time. Do you remember what, what Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations about how the mercies of God are new? How often are they new? Every morning. I mean, you don't have to try to hold on to yesterday's mercies just in case God changes his mind tomorrow. No, no, there'll be fresh mercy tomorrow waiting for you when you get up. You find it in Matthew chapter 6, perhaps that most famous portion on the, the, the Lord's Prayer. We say it so often, many people do, they'll say it at a, at a funeral. Sometimes it'll be said at a wedding. It'll be said uh, oftentimes in many different ways. But the Lord Jesus, you remember, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today this week's bread. Is that what it says? No, 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 no. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus was teaching his disciples. In fact, in the book of Luke, in Luke's account of this, the disciples said unto the Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. And the Savior said, okay, when ye pray, pray like this. And in Luke's record of it, he says, give us day by day our daily bread. God is not going to give you tomorrow's bread today. He's going to give you today's bread. Today's bread. And in Matthew 6, in that same Sermon on the Mount, at the end of that chapter, he says, the Lord Jesus says something very interesting. He says there in verse number 31, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all of these things do the Gentiles seek, meaning all those who don't know God. They spend their whole life uh, saving up money, and the whole life is all about buying nicer clothes, nicer homes, nicer cars. It's all about getting material things. And, and the Lord Jesus said this, Your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore, look at this, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Today. There is a daily bread today. God has something specific for you today. God wants to feed your soul today. Just like he fed the Israelites. They went out in the morning and they gathered up that manna. It was just enough for one day. And do you know what happened when they tried to gather a little bit extra and hold on to it for tomorrow? It rotted. It didn't last. It didn't last. And, and it's another interesting thought. God placed the manna right outside their tents. But they had to get out of their tent and get it. God sent it from heaven. It was right there in front of them. But they had to get up and gather it. It took a bit of work. Little by little, they picked up every little tiny piece, just a little tiny piece of man, a tiny piece here, there, and they had to gather it, just enough for the day. But nonetheless, it took a little bit of effort on their part. You can't put the Bible under your pillow at night when you go to bed and hope that somehow it jumps into your brain. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Get up in the morning and go gather that manna. God, why aren't you talking to me? And God says, why aren't you reading the word? I don't know why God won't just talk to me. When your Bible sits there collecting dust week after week after week. God, I'm starving. I, I feel like I'm dead inside. When's the last time you began to gather manna? Gather it. It's there. Go get it. 
And there's another interesting thought. They had to gather it every morning. And they had to gather it before the sun came up. Because if the sun came up, it would begin to melt. That's what it tells us in our text. At the end of verse number 21, they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. Can I tell you where many believers, Christians, look here for just a moment. Can I tell you where many of us go wrong? We don't get up first thing in the morning to gather manna. And as soon as the sun gets up, what could have been there to sustain our soul throughout the day, what could have been there to feed us and strengthen us for the work of that day was gone. Now, Jesus talks about the sun in the parable of the seed and the sower. Do you remember that in Matthew 13? Talks about the little plant that was planted in the rocky soil. It shot up quickly. And then when the sun came out, do you remember that? It was scorched because it didn't have any root. He goes on to explain that the sun was a, was a type of tribulation and persecution and affliction and temptation. And if you don't get up early enough in the morning to gather manna from God's word, the first time something bad happens in your day, you are finished. Because you didn't get up to gather what you needed. The sun is a picture of tribulation and difficulties and trials, which all of us have every single day. And the only sustenance for your soul is the word of God, the manna from above. But if you don't get to it in the morning, let's be honest, how many times have you done this? I, how many times have I done this? Slept and I'm going to sleep in just a little bit longer this morning, and I'll, I'll read later on, maybe after lunch when I get a free moment, and lunchtime comes, and I haven't had a free moment, and then dinner time comes, and I haven't had a free moment, and by the time it's, it's in the evening, I'm, I'm so tired, when I try to open up the Word of God, it puts me to sleep. Have you been there before? Because I didn't get up early. They had to collect the manna first thing in the morning. Otherwise, the sun would come up and it would melt. Now, there's a couple of beautiful applications here. It, it, children, you heard me talk about this the other day. Seek Christ early in the morning of your life. Parents, we ought to do our best to help our children uh, to, to, to feed them the things of Christ, teach them the things of Christ early. And seek Him early. How many times does somebody get set in their ways Older, more mature, and I've already made up my mind about religion and God and all of that. Set in their ways. Because the sun of life has already risen. Seek him early. The scripture said that they that seek me early shall find me. Not just early in childhood, but early in life and early in the day. Seek him early. Seek the Savior every morning before other things have time to take possession of your heart and mind. Robert Murray McShane used to get up early in the morning and he'd say this, I have to see the face of my Savior before I see anybody else's face. He knew the importance of meeting with the bread of heaven, feeding his own soul before he could feed anybody else's soul. It's an impossibility to feed somebody else if you haven't been fed yourself especially when we're thinking spiritually the enemy knows what he's doing doesn't he he loves to rob you in the morning he loves to rob you of blessings and strength by distracting you first thing in the morning and satan knows that if he can get your heart and your affections early in the morning 
that all day long you've been robbed from the strength that you need to walk as you should. All day long you've been robbed from the blessing that you could have had. I did a little experiment this week because I can't preach this if I'm not willing to live it. So I did a little experiment this week and endeavored to get up an hour early each day. Even on the days when I had an early start. Now, we don't like that idea. I, don't, I certainly don't like that idea. If I have an early start, and I, I think it was Thursday morning, I had to leave mine by 7 o'clock, quarter past 7, to do some recording up, up north. And, and uh, then I had a meeting with someone before that, which means if i got to leave at 7.15, my meeting's got to be at 6 o'clock. And then if I've got to meet that person at 6 o'clock, well, I've got to meet the Savior before I meet that person. Now, my flesh said, no way. That's just too much. But can I tell you, there was a joy all day long. And I don't know why we let the flesh, well, I don't know why we give the flesh an ear. Oh, but that's going to be too, I'll, I'll be tired, and then I won't be able to function as I should. And I'll probably get a headache if I don't get enough sleep, and, and then I'll be grumpy, and what's the point then? And we make every excuse in the world. Satan knows what he's doing. But there's a blessing that can carry you through the day, and there's strength for your soul that can carry you through the day if you just get up early and gather that manna. Gather that manna. Find him early. I, I love what the, what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians, Christ who is our life. Because you realize Jesus is that, that what I'm, that's what I'm seeking in the morning, Christ. I'm not, I'm not trying to figure out all the theological equations. I'm just trying to find Christ. I just want to meet with him. I just want to hear his voice, and I want him to lead me and guide me. I want to know his presence. Paul said, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, he's coming. But he's coming for those who know he's our life. Remember what the Savior said when he was tempted by Satan? Do you remember that? Three times Satan tempted him in the wilderness. Man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God the Father. Here is our bread. Here is our sustenance. In the Old Testament, an interesting observation. In the Old Testament tabernacle or temple system, there was the table of showbread. There's such a beautiful picture of Christ when you study the tabernacle. On the outward, uh, outside of the tabernacle, it was like this, an ugly tent, even uglier than this, drab and gray, skins, animal skins. It looked absolutely unappealing. But when you got into that tabernacle, there was gold and beauty all inside, just like Christianity. How many times did we stand outside and think, those people are a bunch of madmen. They've all lost their minds. That's the most unattractive thing I've ever heard of in my life. You're telling me I can't have fun and I'm not allowed to go to the parties anymore and I'm not allowed to... And all we think about is all how bad it looks. But once you get in, oh, the glories of Christ are beyond anything this world could ever offer. You walk into the outer court of the tabernacle. And before you ever got in, into that tabernacle, there was a courtyard. And there was the brazen altar. You couldn't get in unless a sacrifice was made. And it's the shedding of blood that offers remission of sins. And beyond that brazen altar, there was a brazen laver where you'd wash, the priest would wash his hands after the sacrifice was performed. And after we, have, after we have believed and received of the precious blood sacrifice of Christ Jesus dying for our sins, there's a washing and a cleansing that is there for us. 
And then you enter in to the tabernacle. Two sections, the holy of holies and the holy place. The holy place you enter in first. And you had a number of things there. You had the, the candle there, the light. You had the, uh, the altar of incense, which were prayers ascending up before the throne of God. And then you had the table of showbread. Anybody know how many loaves of bread were on that table of showbread? Can anybody remember? Mike? Not ten? No? Good try. Not three? Kian? Twelve. Twelve loaves of bread. Now I'm told they were arranged six, two rows of six, six and six. Does anybody remember how many books are in the Bible? Sixty-six. Maybe it's just a coincidence, I don't know, but I'm, I'm tempted to believe that that bread, that table of showbread, again, bread being our sustenance, 66 books of the Bible, 66 loaves to feed your soul if you'd only get up in the morning and eat. If you'd only get up and, and partake of all that God has provided. Jesus told those people who were listening in John chapter 6 and verse number 27, look, labor not for the bread that perishes, he says. Look, you're spending your life laboring for meat which is perishing, but labor for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. Get up and gather, labor, pray, and seek, and beg, and dig for that which is eternal, for that which will never fade away, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. It's beautiful. The prophet Isaiah said something similar in, in that famous 55th chapter of Isaiah. Verse number one, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse two, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Can I just, would you look here for a moment? I've fallen into the trap before, and I'm sure you have as well. We've spent so much energy and effort chasing the things of this world because we thought somehow they would give us satisfaction. And the prophet says, look, you are spending your life on that which is not real bread. It can never satisfy. And you're laboring for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Come unto me and live. Maybe this morning, for the first time, you'll stop and realize all that you've been chasing in life is not satisfying not fulfilling there's only one thing that will satisfy that longing inside of you and can I, by the way can i tell you god made you with that longing so that nothing in this world could satisfy it but christ christ jesus alone i am the bread of life he said and it's not a one-time thing you sit down and partake of jesus here we are now give my life to christ he saved me now and born again and i'm a christian no no we partake daily it never fades away it never runs out Look, I live in a house with eight people, oftentimes a whole lot more stacked on top of that. But we, believe me, our cupboards run out. Our food runs out. I oftentimes go to make a bit of toast. And I said, the bread gone already. But the Lord Jesus never runs out. You can never exhaust Christ. You can never, ever run out of all that he offers you today. But you've got to gather it. Go out, you got to open the word, you got to get on your knees and seek and seek him early. So the question this morning, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Absolutely, positively, yes. That's what he does best. 
in the time you need it the most. You see, the truth of the matter is, the Lord is not going to furnish a table when you're living in high-class society and luxury because you don't need them. But when things get stirred up and shaken up a little bit, people begin to realize everything that we thought was once so safe and solid and sound, everything that was once bringing us security is gone. Now you say, oh boy, I need God to furnish a table in this wilderness. Can he do it? Yes. Yes, he can. Maybe this morning you're lost and you say, well, that sounds lovely, but how, how, do, I, how do I get this bread? He's not far from us, the scriptures say. Paul preached in the book of Acts that you can feel after him because he's not far from each one of us. He's here today. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you seek him with all of your heart, you shall find him. He's not playing hide and seek. He's accessible. But do you want Christ? It's amazing when you think about manna, it was white and sweet to the taste. The Lord Jesus is pure and white. He is sweet to the taste, and his words are sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Our Savior is that bread from heaven. Bread must be taken. Bread must be eaten. And by the way, if you're ever going to enjoy the bread of heaven, you must be weaned off of the sugars of Egypt. You'll never, ever, you'll never, no offense, you're never going to enjoy this when you're filling your mind with hours of rubbish of the television. No wonder you don't enjoy it. No wonder it doesn't thrill your soul. Because you are feasting on the rubbish of the world and then you try to eat the manna from God. It's interesting when you think about, when you, my wife has gotten into a bit of health here lately health concerns and food and things like well we're all into food but all the healthiness and all the unhealthiness of food and all of that i just eat what's put in front of me you know but she's really into all of these things and uh, she's telling me all the all the terrors of sugar and but it's so good and you know if you put broccoli in front of me or something sugary in front of me i almost always want something sugary but let's be honest the more you leave off that which is sugary and the more you begin to eat that which is actually good for you, the more you begin to realize, hey, it's not so bad. And no wonder you have a hard time reading the Word of God. And no wonder you have a, I don't like going to church. It's boring because you're watching action-packed rubbish on the television nonstop. Of course it's boring to you. You're swallowing the sugar of the world, which is killing you. It's killing you. Get rid of it. And watch what happens. You can't partake of the junk of the world and expect to find great joy and contentment and satisfaction in the things of God. Not going to happen. A worldly heart and a carnal mind will never find Christ in the Word and they'll never enjoy Him if they do find Him. So cut it off. Leave the rubbish of Egypt behind and feast. Feast. On the living word. Feast on the bread of life. How rich, soul nourishing, soul satisfying is Jesus Christ. May the Lord help us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee 
that all that we need and all we could possibly desire is found in Jesus, the bread of life. I pray for the one this morning who has never tasted and seen that the Lord is good, has never tasted, never feasted at that table that has been spread for us in the wilderness. I pray that today would be the day that they throw off the grave clothes of Egypt, the rubbish of this world, and feast on Christ. Help them, Father. Help those of us who are thy children to get up early to gather manna for our soul. Help us not to pretend that we can partake of the rubbish of this world and the things from thy table and expect to be fed. Help us, Lord. Give us wisdom and understanding about these things. We thank thee, Lord, that a, a table has been furnished and all that we need is thereon. Help us today to feast. We thank thee that it has been provided through Christ our Lord and Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.